Welcome to Disarming Persuasion, the podcast for sales and business leadership professionals. My name is Dave Rosenberg, and I am the founder and principal at Locked On Leadership, a consulting firm with a mission to replace Thank God It's Friday with Thank God It's Monday. And I'm Ann Bonney, redhead impersonator and an expert in change management and leadership that people want to follow. Okay, Ann. What are we going to talk about today? Let's talk about culture. Y- yeast, yogurt, um, what kind no, of... No, the culture club. Wasn't that a movie? No, it was Boy George. Oh, Boy George, right. Oh my God, 80s bands. Yeah, how can I mm-hmm. forget? Right? Well, I'm old. Well, then let's just go ahead and talk about organizational culture and how that can impact your persuasion and your leadership. Culture Club would be so much more fun. Can you do Culture Club? Well, yeah. I mean, because Boy George, I saw him at a club in New York City a couple years ago DJing. He's still alive and doing his thing and still has very interesting outfits. (laughs) I'm sure he does. All right. Organizational culture. Let's start with um, what the heck does that have to do with persuading people? Ooh. Well, you know, we last week's episode with Gary Garfield was just so informative on integrity and on and on on making big changes because he walked into that company and needed to make some big changes. And he wouldn't have been able to do that with the culture as it stood prior to the changes. I mean, the way people feel about going to work, how much they give you, how brave they're willing to be, how much they're willing to listen to you and trust you are all influenced by the culture of the company. Wouldn't you agree? Well, absolutely. What I found most interesting about that is, so the change they wanted to make was um, to become more innovative. Right. And the way they came about making that change was to change the culture so it would be more innovative. But first, he had to persuade people that becoming more innovative was an important right so it's sort of a chicken and an egg right you have to persuade people to change your culture so that your culture can change the things you wanted to change i'm getting dizzy from spinning around all the change yeah my i'm I'm blonde right now (laughs) well i mean and it's so important to and what he talked about doing was giving it to that 150 highest people and said you tell me who we need to be in order to make this happen and, and I think that was the first step of changing the culture is he doesn't, didn't say, okay, guys, we're going to be more innovative. No, he told his team, hey, well, who do we need to be? Okay, cool. Let's go after that. And people have ownership of the things that they help create. And so by, by indoctrinating them into that process, he already got the buy-in of the cultural change that he was hoping to have to create. Well, actually, let's even back this up one step farther, because you're absolutely right. And before he even said, who do we need to be? What he really did was first present a business problem, which um, is what well, at the time for him, it was we're not we're not the industry leader. We want to be our our, our um, shareholders are demanding this of us. And we're getting a lot of pressure from cheaper organizations that are being made in overseas in Asia specifically where, where uh, you know, they 
basically, have, he didn't say this, so I don't want to put words in Gary's mouth. I don't think he would ever say this, but well, they basically had slave labor to deal with. And so, you know, labor costs were down and not to mention none of the environmental issues that, you know, we have to deal with here that add to the costs. And he's like, we can't cut our margins anymore. Right? So how do we do this? And right, so they came up with, okay, we can't we can't be priced we can't be price based we need to be innovative so that we can be a higher price right so even that was something that came from the bottom up so then he turned it around and said okay who do we need to be right so it started with them to your point it started with the the not the top but and wasn't the very bottom but but the 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 worker the working executives well, and, and I love that when he said this company belonged to them as much as it belonged to me, you know, and, and that recognition as a leader and the recognition that and, you know, when he sent his 150 people off to go figure out what those values were, they might have come back with a different list than he had in his mind. And so there's this level of humility and level of he called it trust, but it's kind of handing it over. Obviously, if it doesn't get us to the objective, we're not going to do it. But. I think being open to other people's input, other people's ideas, their perspectives, and ultimately the, the things that they decide are the most important, being open to that is really important. Absolutely. And at the same time, and you just alluded to it, you can have the trust as a leader. And this is something I say all the time you know, to my, my clients. You can, you can have that trust because you do get 51% of the vote. So, you know, he sure. told us, right? And, and, and so just vote last if you have to vote at all. If everybody's voting in a direction you want to go, it's just easy to go, you know what? You guys got this. Right. 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 I don't need to vote. And you right. only need, right? You're, you're, uh, uh, it's a veto power. And it's the last thing you do is veto. Yeah. Right? yeah. And, and again, I mean, it's, it's a more humble approach, but you're going to, but again, like you said, you've got the end veto. And, you get everybody else involved and they know now my voice matters, my intelligence matters, my experience matters, my perspective matters, and they're more likely to give it to you and more likely to listen to yours when it is time to veto. He said something else. He, he had another technique which uh, he, he talked about that I thought was absolutely brilliant when he solicited opinions. He went around from the June post mm -hmm. first. Mm -hmm. Because otherwise, what happens if like I'm thinking, oh, we need to have all chocolate ice cream and then you're my boss and you go vanilla. Everybody wants vanilla. Well, what am I going to do? Go, no, boss, you're wrong. Chocolate's the way to go. Right. No, I'm you not. You probably idiot. would. But I don't think most people would. Most people would. You're right. I probably would. But, you know, totally would. Totally would. Um, most people wouldn't, though. And so by soliciting the junior opinions first, what I really wonder, and we'll never know this, not just because we didn't ask Gary this because I doubt he has, is how many of the boss's opinions went, oh. How many of them were influenced by the juniors, the, more junior employees? Yep. I didn't think of that. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. I like this. Uh, yeah, no, he's absolutely right. That's why he's one of my go-to men. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's why he said he put one of his youngest executives on that innovation to lead that innovation committee. Because you've got somebody who's relatively new, new ideas, you know, and, and it's easier to ask, why can't we do that when you haven't tried it under different circumstances and it hasn't worked when you haven't had as many years doing the similar industry, you, you end up with new ideas. Yeah, actually, I think all of the, the, the committee members were young executives and right. If you want to be innovative, you can't be stayed. So you put the people who haven't 
they're not set in their ways yet. They're not stuck. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, another brilliant thing. Um, who knew? So culture is really a vehicle for change. Change acceptance. Yeah. Well, well mm, or vehicle for actual change. actual change, not just the cha change ideas and the change plans, but the actually happening. Yes. Right. You know, it, it reminds me of the story of Alcoa years and years ago, I mean, decades ago, when um, Paul O'Neill took over and they were struggling. And I, I've shared this story on the podcast in the past, but it's worth repeating. It certainly fits in today because when he took over as uh, president and CEO, his acceptance speech which you know, typically when, when people do that is like, yes, and we're going to see shareholder value double and I'm going to do blah, blah, and all these boring numbers. And he says, we're going to focus on safety. Safety is the most important thing. We're going to become the safest plant in the world. And I'm paraphrasing folks. I, I don't remember the exact speech. I was very young at the time. Um, and all the pundits of business were saying, oh, this is not going to, he, he's not going to last six months there. And he took them to whole new heights because he changed the culture to one of respect for the members, ones where their concerns were heard because part of being a safety focused culture was there had to be communicate. And he said, any accident that happens in any of my plans, anytime, day or night, I need to know about it. And he actually fired one of his top plant presidents who handled the situation just fine, except didn't inform him. And, you know, away he went. And so culture, so that's a way where culture actually engendered change in the rest of the plan. Well, and it's, and it's that ripple effect, right? It's that ripples of change. Yes, sure, if he's not focused on, if he is focused on safety, he's not focused on the bottom line. But if we don't have safety accidents, we don't have lawsuits, we don't have lost people out of work, we don't have, you know, all of the fixing that comes along with uh, safety challenges, the bottom line is impacted and your employees are going to work harder, be more engaged and listen better because they know you care about them. The entire focus of the company is that they get home at night every every night safe. And that means people are going to want to work there. And that meant one more thing, though. Sorry, what else did it mean, Dave? You <laughs> your turn. We, we really should excited. have these videos up here because, yeah, uh, <laughs> trying to get a word in Edgewine and yeah. At any rate, um, because they had to open up the lines of communication for safety reasons, those same lines were used for innovation reason. All of a sudden, men and women who are on the line, who are now realizing this company cares about me, were going, I care about this company because it's my job, it's my career, I want to spend my life here, I want to see them do well because I take pride in what I do now because they take pride in me. And by the way, boss, here's a better way we could do things. And all of a sudden, they became innovative. The safety culture led to an innovation culture. Yeah. yeah. And that's and that's one of the things you have to think about is what am I ultimately looking for here? You know, as I'm thinking about what culture do I want? What are our values? What are we going to stand for? And I've said this a bunch of times. I remember back early days of Under Armour where Kevin Plank said every single meeting we had, and we talked about this a lot in our staff meetings and other meetings, was our goal is to build great product service a business, build a great team. Those were the three things we were focused on. And by doing those things, we became a very popular company. We made a lot of money and blah, blah, blah. But nowhere in there was we're going to make a lot of money. Right. And we've said this before. In fact, in, in um, the book, The Goal, 
right? He talks about Eli Goldthwaite, I think I got his last name right. Um, he, he talks about the goal of business is to make money now and in the future. And I totally disagree with that, right? That's not the goal of the business. It is a requirement for business sustainability. But if that's your goal, you're going to make different decisions. And your culture is a reflection of your values, period. And so what I what I suggest that all of our listeners do are listening to this going like, Really, what's my culture? Many of our listeners are small businesses, and they don't think about culture is not an intentional thing for them. It just happens because culture is there, irrespective. Is now stop and think: What are my real values? And then, what are the things that I'm doing that reflect those values, or more importantly, don't reflect those values? Mm. How could I change them to reflect those values? Yeah, because so so many companies create values. They create a mission statement. They spend a lot of time and spend a lot of money on consultants to create those things, but then they just put it on the website. Maybe they hang it on the wall in the lobby, but they're not living those values to create that culture and having the tough conversations and holding people accountable. And as Gary said last week, holding themselves accountable. Yeah. And when you do that, you actually, it's worse than not having them. You actually undermine You're undermining yeah. everything you do because you're saying, yeah, this is just smoke and mirrors. Right. And then people and then your team who create the culture ultimately are are hard huge part in creating culture, roll their eyes because oh, those. They spent three days at an offsite in Key West getting those all put together. Right. You know? And and so now a new member joins the organization and you go through the, you know, whatever your day one in doc is and your, your here's our company values, here's our cultures and sign off on all this stuff. And then you get to their destination. Did they go through all that stuff with you? <laughs> it's a joke. Oh my God. I asked for time off because it was my kids can't And they're like, no, you can't go. I don't care that families are culture. We need to make this thing done. Everything you've done is shot. Mm-hmm. Yep. So how would you define culture? Yeah, that's a really good question. There's actually seven elements to culture. Um, I'm probably not going to be able to... According to? uh, The internet. Um, Oh, right. Right. But so, you know, culture is, it's our, it's our, first of all, it's, it's our governance. What's our form of governance? Is it top down? Is it bottom up? Uh, Is it holacracy, which has no managerial structure, right? It's our economic system. How are we compensated? From a business perspective, how are we compensated? So give you an example in in geopolitical terms, right? In uh, the old, in communism, right? Which is a culture, right? To each according to their needs, from each according to their whatever, right? So everyone allegedly gets paid the same, right? Based on what their needs are. Of course, some people have more needs than others. Those people in power seem to have more needs and those people who are not in power, right? As opposed to here, where it's a meritocracy, and you right so our culture values independence it values uh, at least it did once upon a time but we won't go there um right it, it values hard work it values individual efforts it, right we value those things as americans we're pioneer stock that's really the the heart and soul of who we are and so as you give that so so shall you receive right the effort you put in is is right so that's a reflection of culture um Religion, and when I say religion in a business, it's really your beliefs. You know, what's your purpose? Right? That's part of culture. I've told stories about the moving company where our purpose, once we figured it out, was to uh, reduce stress. And so 
everything we did was around, and that was, was sort of religious with us. It was a litmus test for everything we did. Does this reduce stress? No, don't do it. Figure out a different way that's going to lower stress. Um, so these are all the way we celebrate things, our traditions, right? Those are celebrations of our culture. So these are all the things that make up culture. What do you do with them? How do you how do you do how do you go through and say, okay, how do I design this culture purposely to reflect who I am as an individual? And that's the key is being, and I, my word for the last five years has been intentional <laughs> because it's so easy to fall into accidental culture. And if you're not paying attention to it, talking about it, you know, living by it as the leader, your team's like, again, it becomes a joke. Yeah. Well, the culture that will form will be the culture of the people you've hired as they fight. And what happens is now there's conflicting cultures within organizations. You start getting rice bowling, right? And yep. so the operations department culture may be one of uh, being uh, expedient. Let's just get the job done as fast as possible. The sales culture may be one of just close the deal, right? Sell as much as possible. Yeah. Right. And, and all of a sudden you have this huge conflict because one's just trying to be as easy and the other is just trying to make money and they're promising things that the other one can't do. Instead of having, let's just say, a customer focused culture where everyone's trying to do right by the customer. And then it's easy to say, look, I know this is harder, but the customer is going to benefit in the long run. So mm -hmm. we need to do it. And that, that, again, those three things that I said that Kevin Plank talked about, and we all talked about all the time, that's that service, the business piece. We had way better communication between sales and ops because we were all trying to service the business. And sales knew if I sold that, that's not going to, we're not going to be able to service that business. And we knew that sometimes the salespeople had to do certain things for the customer that was servicing the business, even though it was a pain in the butt to us. So knowing that and talking about it all the time, we had that on our radar and the silos went away because we all were working with the same playbook. And I imagine, obviously, I, I wasn't there working with you at all, but what I imagine is those conflicts that were centered around servicing the business, but different ideas, often resulted in really innovative ways to achieve what you needed to do. Right. And that continued open communication, because basically to end a conflict, all you had to say was, just like you with Does This Reduce Stress, how are we best serving the customer? How are we best servicing the business? And that would just get us all into the same place um, and have our answer. Right. Well, and I imagine, again, once again, that you and I might still have different answers of what is best, right? Because that's a relative term. But at least we're t we both know we're trying it from the best and we're trying to figure it out. And at some point we do figure out or the person above us goes, yeah, you know what? This is what I think is the best. I could be wrong, but this is the way we're going to go with it. And, and at least the other person is like, all right. Yeah. And we're ultimately trying to achieve the same outcome. You know, it's not like we're fighting and pulling to do something different. Right. Yeah. Right. So it, yeah, it, it was, it was a great way to work. So culture is a great way for persuading people because um, when we, as we change culture, as it reflects properly, accurately on our values, then people know it, it speaks to integrity. 
Well, and it, and it goes back to the ultimate why. And when you're trying to persuade some people, you're saying, here's why we're doing this. It goes right back to that thing we've been talking about and everything that we stand for. And usually with culture, if it's done right and it's done intentionally and it's done in a positive way, there's a big pride point for your team. They're proud of that. They're proud of the fact that they stand for this and that they mean something. And so when it comes to persuasion, it becomes a whole lot easier. Because this is what we believe in. This is what we we are proud of. So it's an easy decision. It's an easy persuasion. It is. And and it becomes a sense of esprit de corps, right? That sense of, of spirit. Yes. And, and the more challenging it is for people to become involved in that. In other words, the higher the bar. Like we have a culture of X and you need to you need to achieve this with us as part of to be part of us that the greater sense of accomplishment people have, then they hold on to that even stronger, right? And it becomes self-reinforcing. Well, yeah. And I was talking to my cousins. I was just at a family reunion this past weekend. And she's going to this um, high school, boarding school for math and science. And she said, I'm really excited because, and, and this is exactly what you're talking about, that raised bar of the culture. She said, all the kids that are there worked really hard to get there and had to go through an application process and they're proud of being there. So there's going to be a higher level of achievement. And I'm excited to be around that. And I was like, wow, for a 17-year-old kid or a 16-year-old kid to know that already. But we forget that when it goes up to work. But it works. When you've got people firing on all cylinders, raising the bar and really achieving, your whole your whole achievement level goes up as well, your motivation and your engagement. And on those occasional mistakes that you might make in hiring for people who are not fit, they become self-correcting. Right. And, and I'll take this out of my past, and this is not a like a Dave is great story at all. It'll start off sounding that way until you hear the end result. I've, I often I often joke the freshman year was the best three years of my life. <laughs> and it's unfortunately not a joke. I, my junior year of high school, after taking my PSATs, or maybe in the actual SATs, it must have been the actual first SATs, um, I got invited to go down to the University of Delaware to be part of their freshman honors program, which in lieu of my senior year, I'd go to freshman college. They drove down there and they gave us this big song and dance about the stuff you use, the best and the brightest and all this stuff. And all I'm doing is a 17-year-old Dave looking around and going, wow, there's college girls here. It was May, they're sunbathing, and I'm like, I want to go. So I did what it took to go, and I got accepted. And I was totally outclassed. I was not ready to be there. And the net result was I ended up dropping out and, you know, had to get my stuff together. In other words, I didn't fit into that culture, right? Mm -hmm. There were some high achievers there, and it's not that I didn't have the capability uh, intellectually. I didn't have the capability emotionally at that point mm -hmm. in time. And there was some amazing high achievers there, and I just wasn't part of it. And it became self-correcting. When you have a strong culture, people who don't fit either step up or step out, but they don't stick around. Right. Because they don't feel like they belong. And that's one of the key pieces of, you know, that Gary so successfully did by having his team come up with those values and come up with that culture is they owned it. They felt like they belonged and then could go out and pull all their teams in. But if, if people aren't on board with it and they're not feeling comfortable and everybody else is charging ahead, they're like, oh, well, this stinks. I'm going to go find another place to be. Yeah. And, and that's what happened to me. And 
you know, I was better off for it. And that lesson was huge for me. And eventually, I mean, I did did go on a little downward slide for a couple of years. Eventually, I'm like, this ain't right. That's why I was two more years of freshman year after that. And eventually, though, I got my stuff together. And, you know, everything has been uh, upward trajectory since. Couldn't have done it without that experience. And, and it doesn't mean that, that you were wrong or you were bad. It just wasn't your uh, definition of success at that time. You know, pushing to that level and hustling and, and uh, um, yeah, pushing to that level just wasn't where you were. Well, the reality is I had no idea who I was. Right. It, it really is that simple. I, I would hear people talking about things like that, and I would just say, what a joke. You are who you are. I have no idea who I am, but you are who you are, right? And but I am, I am it. I am it, right? <laughs> Dude. <I> <laughs> <am> <laughs> it. <sighs> Pasta potato chips. You know, because that's who I was. And, you know, I needed to go through that. And uh, if it wasn't for that, frankly, I wouldn't have ended up in the Navy and, and all the great things that have happened since then. And I am grateful as all get out for that experience. The point from our perspective, though, is how culture can help, right? I, I've got a garden in the front. It's all California natives. It's a culture of California natives. They have a different uh, landscape, right? It's a they have a different structure. It's a, it's a micro, uh, um, what is the term, um, rhizome. So instead of big thick shooters, it's just little fine hairs. That's how they propagate. And it keeps non-native plants from thriving in that environment. Once it gets established, it's almost impossible for weeds, non-natives, to show up there. Huh. That's what a strong culture does. It keeps the weeds out. Keep out the weeds. And yeah. by weeds, again, we're not saying that they're bad people. That's just not their place. Right. There's somewhere weed that's is, perfect for them. Weed is a state of mind. It's just another plant. Right, exactly. So, <laughs> yeah. Because I actually have milkweed, which is native out there, where I get these wonderful monarch butterflies. And it's uh, so it's not a weed there. It's the plant weed. Yeah. Put it. So, I love it. Yeah. And wow. I think the key is finding, being intentional about it. Even if you have a, you like your culture and it's going well and you're accidentally like, well, our culture is fantastic. Great. Identify what those things are. Praise your team for being those things so they know what they're doing that's working. They have that pride in it and they're doing it on purpose so it doesn't get shifted as people in the organization change. Yeah. And, and you know, shameless plug for my book, but in my book, Locked On Leadership, Creating a Culture of Consistency, Courage, and Caring, I actually talk about the seven elements of culture how they translate, go through that, find out for yourself, okay, what are the things I have in place? What are the things I don't have in place or are accidentally in place, to use your word, not intentional? And how do I shore them up and make them intentional? I love it. I love it. Well, I think we've given everybody something to think about and something to go do. So I think we leave it there. And I'm going to go listen to some Boy George. Come a come a come a come a come a chameleon. Wasn't that them? I think it was. Yeah, Culture Club. Yeah. Off we go. All right, everybody. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you again next week. That concludes another episode of Disarming Persuasion. This is Dave Rosenberg, and you can find my website at lockedonleadership.com. And this is Ann Bonnie at yourchangespeaker.com. Remember, if they fail to make a decision, you failed to disarm them. Yeah.